You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, horror for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we're talking deep cuts. Uh, Horror movies from some very big horror-known names that may have slipped under your radar. This week, we're going with one from John Carpenter's back catalog, and this one is a bit of an interesting odd duck pick because John Carpenter didn't direct it, but he wrote it. Yeah, from the mind of John Carpenter. <laughs> from the desk of John Carpenter. Right, I love uh, it. We're talking about The Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, and I'm Kim. Uh, you already said your name. Did we do that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Eyes of Laura Mars is an American giallo film from 1978, directed by Irvin Kirshner, who would go on to direct The Empire Strikes Back. You know, the, the natural progression for all thriller and horror filmmakers to make big blockbusters set in space. I mean, they do kind of pluck them for superhero movies so now yeah i'm just saying it seems like a consistent usage <laughs> this was a this was a really interesting choice because we're i think we're both watching it we were both watching it as a john carpenter movie which adds kind of another layer to things i think i was just watching it oh fuck okay <laughs> i personally watched it as a john carpenter movie i watched it like it was a movie. Visually not a John Carpenter movie whatsoever. There's no synth score in it. For me, like, in terms of how I watched it, and, like, yes, I did think about John Carpenter a little bit, but instead of being like, oh, what if, what if this reminds me of John Carpenter, it made me see him more of more as a film fan, which is something mm. I guess I, I haven't really considered of John Carpenter, even though it's obviously evident. But we, we treat him only as an artist and not necessarily as a film fan. And by seeing something so early on in his career, like he had two feature films at this time. He came up with Dark Star, which was his like, I'm quitting college and I'm being a filmmaker <laughs> film. And then after that was Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. And then had written this. It was a, like a treatment that got optioned. And then thus became a film. And then Halloween came out the same year, which he directed. So it was really early on in his career. And who knows when the treatment or the idea of this came from. But he was definitely in his 20s thinking about this story. And it's very much a noir. It's very giallo inspired. You know, I I did see somewhere refer to it as a modern neo-noir murder mystery thriller. It's like, wow, you're going a really long way not to say American giallo movie. Like, (laughs) less words, you know? Damn. (laughs) The word horror almost comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it has so many of those elements and it feels very much like something you've seen before. And that's talking about it retrospectively from 2022 when we've had a ton of those movies to ruminate on. But in 1978, I don't know if it would have been as necessarily predictable. 
Mm-hmm. I just watching it as an homage, watching it as like a love letter or as just sure, somebody yeah. who's really studied those films and wanted to like take a crack at it. That was what gave me like the warm and cozy John Carpentery feelings. Yeah, seven, 1978 turns out really busy year for him. Eh? Did you <laughs> good see the year? Good year. <laughs> Did you see he also had a TV movie come out that year? Yes. Called and, There's Someone in Your House or There's Someone Watching Me. So, yeah. and I was we reading, gotta see that. That's how he met Adrian Barbeau. No fucking way. And then they got married. And then they made the fog. And then they got divorced. <laughs> but that's how they got Cody. <laughs> it all started in 1978 with a little film called The Eyes of Laura. I, no, sorry. Eyes of Laura Mars. No, the. So, Kim, could you, uh, for anybody out there unfamiliar with the movie, could you just give us a quick little breakdown on what it's about? And then maybe also three reasons why they should watch it. Yeah. Top level synopsis. Laura Mars is a really like lucrative fashion photographer who's kind of tiptoeing the line between high commercial art and art art. And there's a lot of controversy around her photography because it is very gratuitive. It's gratuitive uh, with nudity and sexuality of women and also depicting violence alongside that, marrying the two. Uh, There's lots of, uh, you know, dead bodies and really pretty women with big 80s hair, even though we're not in the 80s yet. Really ahead of the time. Really ahead of the time. And somebody starts murdering people in Laura Mars's circle. And Laura Mars, who always has her eye behind a camera lens, ends up with this weird supernatural-ish are we going to address it? Maybe. Power, where uh, she can see through the eyes of the killer. Almost like she's looking through a camera at the murder scene. Yeah, and if that isn't enough, the murderer is also staging these crime scenes after photos from her photography books. So the- I don't know if that's true, John. The police are 100% on her case because they're killing people in her circle and the murder scenes look like... The look like photographs that she has published no, in her books. I think they were after her because her photographs were looking like murder scenes that already existed because of her psychic power. We're getting into the weeds on this one. <laughs> I'm correct. We're not even. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the trailer yet. Okay, so three good things about Eyes of Laura Mars. It's definitely a murder mystery. It's very much a thriller, so it's less of like, you know, me and my eight frenemies are stuck in this big old house and we can't leave. And a detective is around and one of us murdered, you know, Sir Charles. But a lot of people are getting murdered around Laura Mars and we don't know who the killer is and we really want to find out. So I don't know a single person who doesn't enjoy a murder mystery. It's just one of those good old standards you can always i'm i'm on a murder mystery kick so yeah. which is fine <laughs> i'm just really vibing out. with them <laughs> yeah i mean you you don't know anybody who doesn't appreciate a good murder mystery because you've cut them out of your life <laughs> <laughs> they are not in my frenemies yeah no murder mystery super satisfying uh number two if if i could go for number two I love a fucking 70s murder mystery crime thriller. They always look great. It's in an era of New York that is like, ooh, maybe just real dangerous, just one street over. But I'll just say lots of incredible close-up shots of Laura Mars's eyes. No surprise based on the title of the movie, but we get a lot of close-up shots of Faye Dunaway and her eyes are kind of haunting in this yeah, movie. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on yours for part 3 is the casting is fantastic. Oh my god, yeah. First of all, Faye Dunaway God, like the eyes, the eyes, they, how they didn't like have their own movie before this. It's just like, it's not even a surprise that these eyes have their own movie. The opening and the closing just really zooms in on just her face. Mm -hmm. And 
it's weird how not boring that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also coming, like, casting-wise, like, you're 100% right. I think she literally just won an Academy Award for Network. Uh, Chinatown would have been a few years before this. Um, Faye Dunaway's fucking incredible. But then you also have, like, Tommy Lee Jones in the detective role. Uh, in a horror movie? Like a 1970s Tommy Lee Jones who Kim is uh, certifying a kind of hunk? I am I'm very conflicted here. Because like I know... Because in your brain he's an old man? Yeah, like I ha- can honestly say I haven't seen a lot of things of, of his where he's younger. And seeing him here like scale a chain metal fence in like half a second, you're like, I don't know I, what I am feeling right now. <laughs> But then you've also got Brad Dorif, who's playing her driver. Who's when is Brad Dorif not like, oh, Brad Dorif's in this? It immediately became Brad Dorif's movie, <laughs> yeah. for me, at least. And then there was there was a scene where he started yelling, and I was like, wow, it's electric. Anytime Brad Dorif yells, it doesn't matter what movie it is. It's like, yeah, Tom Cruise looks great running. Brad Pitt looks awesome eating. Brad Dorif can yell. And I wanted to use point three to talk about the fashions. And, and for it being a horror podcast, I really can't do that all the time. But it is quite impressive to see everybody wearing bell bottoms and scarves. <laughs> Very much a period piece with lots of great casting. Oh my god, we, and we forgot to talk about Raul, Raul Julia. Julia. I was literally just, <laughs> just about to say, like, oh, surprise, Raul Julia's in this fucking movie. We'll talk about him because he he requires a whole dissection. <laughs> yeah, great little airtight murder mystery uh, of its time, riffing on a subgenre that you you know you've probably seen a ton of Italian horror movies. If you're looking for a bit of a refresh. A bit of a hidden gem. Eyes of Laura Mars is definitely the way to go. In a world of breathtaking models and the beautiful people, Academy Award winner Faye Dunaway is photographer Laura Mars. Her work, the subject of controversy. Tommy Lee Jones is Detective John Neville intrigued by her photographs for his own reasons. These are police photographs. They are strictly our own material. They were never published anywhere at all. So my question is very simple. Why am I photographed so much like yours? That's right. Somewhere between the sensations of high fashion and the precise form of her art lies another dimension, unexplored, unexpected. Unwillingly, Laura Mars becomes a witness to a series of murders watching through the eyes of a killer. Eyes of Laura Mars. When it happens, I can't see what's in front of me. What I see is that. Think of that camera as the eyes of the killer drawn by a mystery do you understand their lives converge her world sensual dazzling provocative his world demanding dangerous violent This is incredible. In the midst of all of this, I I can't stop thinking of you. I know. I know. What what is going on? I don't know. 
I mean, it's completely unprofessional of me to be walking with you in the woods, I'll tell you that. I don't that. have time for this. I'm supposed to be catching a killer. <laughs> well, I'm completely out of control. <laughs> I saw him in the elevator, so I'm just coming out of the elevator. Pursued by visions. She is linked to a killer. At any place, at any time, a witness. At any moment, a victim of her own eyes. Eyes of Laura Mars is currently sitting at a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a surprising 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I'm so proud of John Carpenter for having this, like, high-budget, star-filled movie come out in his 30th year. I think that's just great. <laughs> I'm sure he was just as surprised as you are. <laughs> well, I mean, he had movies coming out, and, like, this definitely... If it hadn't of, I mean, it came out the same year as Halloween. So, like, he was already, you know, faded to skyrocket into, like, horror maestroism. Mm-hmm. But this is this movie was a bit of a big deal. So it was optioned by producer John Peters, who was, surprise, surprise, dating Barbara Streisand at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, as they wanted this to be, like, a Barbara Streisand vehicle. I read that this was going to be her movie. <laughs> yes. Um, but she backed out, I think, pretty, like, late in the process because of, like, the... Uh, the raciness of it. Yeah, it I read that like... she thought it was too kinky. It's like, what's kinky about <laughs> it? You you stage photographs. It's not like she like breaks into like a swingers club and secretly photographs people <laughs> and they're murdering each other. Um, but they did use her song. Oh, what is it like, Prisoners? Yeah, the love theme from Eyes of Laura Mars. We were singing it all last we night. We were, but we were stuck on the DVD menu for a while, so that I'm That'll gonna blame. Yeah. Uh, actually, shout out to. Uh, Kino Lorber, the people, the yeah, the company who just recently re-released this movie on Blu-ray. Yes, and sent it to us, uh, for which this podcast would not exist. Um, if you're looking for a copy of Laura Mars, that was actually a really great quality. <laughs> Hell yeah, no, the movie looks amazing. It does look amazing, but yeah. So Barbara Streisand was like, I don't want to act in this movie, but my song is definitely perfect for it. <laughs> Movies just don't look like this anymore. That's just what it comes down to. It's silly to say, and it's it's stupid to, to even bring up, but if you had the exact same uh, wardrobe and you could shot for shot remake this movie, it just wouldn't be the same whatsoever. Well, and also something, too, that I've been really noticing, because we've, we've been, you know, taking a little bit of time after Halloween to, you know, step back from go, go, going and kind of watching things for our own, like, you know, personal selves. A.K.A. casually obsessed, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Watching, you know, old-timey murder mysteries and thrillers and stuff. Yeah. And there's such an art and a skill to 
writing side characters that mm. doesn't exist anymore. And my favorite characters in this movie are Raul Julia as the ex-husband Michael and Brad Dorif, not just because it's Brad Dorif, but probably because it's Brad Dorif. Probably as, because it's Brad Dorif. As the as Tommy, the driver, he gets like a whole suspicion-y sequence and he's like a real character. All of them are real characters. Laura, is it her manager or her lawyer? Oh, you know what? Now that you say that, I don't know if he's a manager or a lawyer. I just always assumed her associate. manager. Yeah. <laughs> he's fantastic. Yeah, he, oh man, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays the priest in MASH, which means nothing to Kim, but the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I can't believe this is that goofy son of a bitch from MASH. <laughs> like, I, I grew up watching MASH, so to see him casted suspicion as possibly a sadistic murderer was kind of great. But yeah, movies today are just so focused on being efficient and really just like cutting all the fat. Those characters suffer the most yeah. and they become some so one note. And with a murder mystery, it's really great to care for those characters. You need them. Yeah, and you need to care about them and yeah. you need to think about them and they need to, you need to believe their backstories. Otherwise, you're just, you know, writing down three points under their name. Like Brad Dorf's character, Tommy, is just like has a criminal record, has shifty eyes, <laughs> you know, parked the car wrong once. That's that's all you would have gotten. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. we actually get to see him be conscientious and like be actually concerned for Laura because all of the people around her are getting mur murdered and like... There, there are moments where he's in scenes where he doesn't even talk that you're just like, oh, they would have just not brought him to set nowadays. You know, like he wouldn't be in the whole movie not talking. They give him they give him enough backstory and stuff, too, that he you really care for him, uh, especially when things go bad for him. Uh, you're right. That's totally missing in movies now and is especially needed regardless of when you're making movies, for a mystery. Because if you have character... And, like, this is maybe the problem with some modern mysteries is that you don't get enough information about characters to ever consider them a suspect. You know, if it's just a throwaway person, like, they're not going to be the killer. They're not going to be revealed to be the murderer at the end of the movie because they weren't in the movie. Mm -hmm. Every person in this movie is in the fucking story. What's great about Brad Dourif, too, is that I think I get the impression that he's, like, somewhat protective of Laura Mars. Like, she doesn't need protecting, mm -hmm. but he knows that everybody around her wants something from her. Like, everybody's kind of sucking her dry to a degree. Yeah, it's like she's a whale and they're like, what are they, krill? No, that's Barnacles? what whales eat. Is Barnacles. Isn't that a boat? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> they're little sucker fish that hang around and steal food from her yeah. mouth. <laughs> Raul Julia especially. Oh, he's he only has one fucking scene. Pretty much, yeah. he steals the fucking show. Incredible. Oh, man, when they're just shouting at each other and we're, we're we're not introduced to him at all previously. Like, we know she has an ex-husband, la, la, la. But when he shows up and they just, like, three-second beat into screaming match, you're like, oh, this, this is a couple that has history. Yeah. And they're screaming about history. And... You just believe it. Mm -hmm. I hate I hate saying, like, he's a lived-in character. But, like, goddamn, he says five lines. You know everything about him. And it's about how, like, he carries himself, how he looks at her, and then at a, a bill that she's holding in her hand. Like, you know how slimy this son of a bitch is immediately. And that's just because he can embody it. And it's not like that's a character he's always played. Like Raul Julia, the motherfucker who is just like the biggest romantic goth in Adam's family ever. We gotta go back. 
we we gotta like really check out some of those like deep cuts from round. But while we're doing deep cuts on horror people, I think we should casually obsess <laughs> over Raul Julia for a little while. Like Aww. I think we really need to get into his back catalog. But it'll make me sad. Of course, it's gonna make you sad. It's sad. But let's celebrate his talent while we can. The best Gomez ever. And I'm I'm gonna stamp that stamped. I don't know how many people are gonna argue with you about that. No one. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. What did you think? I mean, this is a horror podcast. Let's get into some of the horror stuff. So she, Laura Mars, Faye Dunaway, has visions of the killer. She can see the murders happening. Did you? Uh, honestly, I was like, oh, f- of course she can. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you've seen a thousand of those movies now. Yes. Maybe a surprise in 1978 for anybody that wasn't watching Italian horror cinema, but... What did you think of the psychic visions and stuff? They were fine. I really appreciated them further on into the film once she had recognized what they were and that believed in them and that they were true and then would, while she was blind with visions, try to get to a phone or leave a building or hide or drive drive a fucking fucking car. That was the craziest. I just wouldn't drive, I guess. Like, I would, yeah. <laughs> Bitch, you do not know when to turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not like she decides either to just take her foot off the gas, like, oh, I guess I'm parked here I now. should probably stop as I am blind. She's still trying to round corners and dodge cars, because <laughs> I'm guessing she can still hear. Like, that's my, that's all I can assume. Either that or it's, like, in her mind's eye, but it's such a powerful vision that it's sort of, like, double exposed on top of what she can no, see. No, the way they show it, she's blind. <laughs> okay, you're right. She is, like, hands out, sort of like calling for help she is clary starling in the basement of buffalo bills in the dark yeah yeah (laughs) so like the driving scene's a little weird where it gets crazy scary though are scenes where the killer is stalking her and so like you got to try and imagine her in that scenario you can't see ahead of you but you can see what you're running toward because you can fucking see yourself running. Yeah, it's like you are a delay on your own sight. Yeah, can you imagine that? It's like you're an avatar of your own body. Like you you're you're having an out of body experience. You're ten steps behind yourself trying to navigate. But it's terrifying too because you also know that what that is is somebody is the- chasing <laughs> after you. Yeah. Uh they do a really great moment of explaining what that's like and the feeling of I that. I love this part. This is like the key part of the movie. That was a moment where I was just like, oh, wow, this is cinema. Yeah, Faye Dunaway is sitting Tommy Lee Jones down. He's the lead detective who is in charge of, one, protecting her from this crazed killer and also investigating these murders. I mean, she's definitely a main suspect. But yeah. He's, at first, he's like, yeah, you're main suspect. But then he's like, yeah, but you're also really hot. Yeah, so. you're also, yeah, you're also my, my, my date. <laughs> That's what's <laughs> happening. Every single time he's supposed to interrogate her, he's like, let's do this over dinner. How about we go on a walk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, she's sitting him down trying to explain what these visions are like. She's got a camera and a monitor set up, and she's trying to explain that her vision is the monitor, but her eyes are supposed to be the camera. Like, but instead, it's it's hijacked. Like she's seeing the. Ki- why? Well, I, I, I don't know why I'm trying to explain this. I think everybody gets it. She can see what the killer sees. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes the killer sees her. Yeah. It's kind of also funny when she's trying to explain it to Tommy Lee Jones, because it's just like, dude, don't you get it? She can see what he sees. <laughs> and he's like, mm, I don't know, maybe you should uh, explain this to me a little bit better with this camera no, and this but television. It, it, there's something really 
cinematic about the fact that when it's chasing her, there's that weird feedback loop. Oh, yeah. And especially the fact that she sees life through a camera lens. Like, it's got that kind of full circle thing that you're just like, oh, that tastes good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yum, yum, more cinema, please. <laughs> Yeah, it's cinema. <laughs> it's the kind of shit that like an A24 movie would eat up. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. But I'll go, I'll go ahead and say that, like, I thought they were fine. Like, I, didn't, I expected to be so over and annoyed by the visions this. in general yeah okay because i've seen I was like it, what was fine i've seen it a hundred times yeah you know with a giallo there's like a, a murderer's on the loose and there's this little catch and this one is like the little catch is that i can see the eyes of a killer which is fine it's cool <laughs> <laughs> i also love that you know in terms of like what they've borrowed and, and brought over from giallos is they're like oh yeah they wear black gloves a bunch and we do see black gloves in the first killing and by the second or third killing still gloves but it's like maybe tan golf gloves they're like oh, fuck it as long as we got a glove is it weird that i didn't like make a mental remark on the gloves i was too busy looking at the scarves of laura mars <laughs> the scarves of laura mars yeah now that we're deep in winter Kim alternate is title with scarves. <laughs> no i just her fashion is just like so on point she was very new york city chic i loved it very much so and all the bell bottoms brad doro from bell bottoms i, I think broke s- your brain in a weird way that you were like can i do that <laughs> can i could do i bell do that bottoms. i was yeah i was just about to say like i probably shouldn't be making fun of you for for paying attention to faye dunaway's fashion because anytime brad Dorf was on screen i'm just like interesting <laughs> and let me no, just snap point, a photo like is brad Dorf gonna be my like brad Dorf in 1978's my new style guide for 2023 okay <laughs> at one point you even got upset because you were like they did a really wide shot of Tommy Lee Jones and you're like even Tommy Lee Jones has bell bottoms <laughs> yeah. you're like if he can do it <laughs> and you were having this silent internal fashion monologue the whole movie that I was not privy to <laughs> it's just denim and leather I'm like I feel like I could pull some of this off but like the bell bottoms are a choice do it nah I don't I gotta, if I get bell bottoms, I gotta learn how to roller skate, and I know I'm not. I know I can't. I'm uh, too can old to break. I'm too house. old to break my nose roller skating. <laughs> we'll practice in the house. <laughs> I don't think I have the booty for roller skating. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just don't think I do. <laughs> if you don't have the booty for roller skates, you definitely don't have the booty for bell bottoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's that's the thing. You know, maybe maybe I can get it by roller skating. But I mean, you could counter you could counteract the booty by wearing a really big belt buckle like going full western with the bell bottoms. Let's not get we can't we can't <laughs> I was going to start talking about my belt adventures. But like we can't <laughs> we can't just talk about fashion and clothes this whole fucking time. We're talking about a horror movie <laughs> whose murder set pieces are really not set pieces in the movie right even through the visions like we get a glimpse of kind of what's happening oh i mean yeah like somebody gets murdered in a hallway (laughs) somebody maybe dies in an elevator a couple of times oh that elevator sequence is is really kind of upsetting but it comes at a time where like it has to be done real quick and real fast 
because you can't see anything. You can't, yeah, because it would give away the ending of the movie, right? Like mm-hmm. if if you saw who killed that person in that elevator and who was killed in that elevator. That's well, that's the bigger thing. Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the two girls that get killed that sort of like link the police to Brad Dorif. That is maybe like the biggest sort of like splashy murder set piece of the movie. It comes and goes real quick, but it looks great. And lots of killer POV. Lots of killer POV. Like that's the biggest. That's like, the biggest through the in curtains. This movie. Like oh, we're having a a topless massage party or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you so sad when Brad Dorif, who is an ex-con in the movie, like that's the whole like that's his a whole big dark ex-con. Yeah, totally. I get it. He's in jail. He what he did a small stint in jail for whatever. I think it was assault with a deadly weapon. But carry on. These charges can get trumped up. <laughs> I I trust that Brad Dorif did it in defense. There was a girl who needed help and he was there to save her, <laughs> but you know, it's mur- it's assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, who knows. But yeah, but his death is very sad. His death is super sad. The thing that I think made us the saddest was when he basically declares like, you're not taking me, coppers. I'm not going back to the clink. And <laughs> runs off and in you know in his escape, stabs a cop. Oh, we, we felt, were both oh. just like, no, this is where it all goes downhill. Like you could still maybe possibly defend yourself, but like, damn, you just ruined your life. You yeah, know, like, like, like he was a real person. We were upset about it. Yeah, like because <laughs> resisting arrest is it's a baddie. It's not a good thing to do. But when you're when you're being charged with something you're innocent of, which you could maybe be, you know, exonerated of very soon, and is is pretty certain he's being framed for exactly. But if you murder a cop along the way, then you are definitely fucked. That's a big problem. You cannot do that. <laughs> that's probably also how you end up getting murdered on the run. Oh, and it was so sad. They murdered him in like, you know. Shot him in the back. This tiny little entrance of like a walk up and it you couldn't even see him. And it was just a, <laughs> it was a, a brief goodbye. Bad way for Brad to go. Yeah. <laughs> can we talk about the end of the movie? We can. I. That's so. This that's what I'm asking, right? Like, is this we've too much? We've spoiled of... every other movie we've talked about on this podcast, so I think we don't. We don't usually talk about big deep cuts. That's true, but we did, you know, give like the opportunity to see it before this point. We did the three good things. We did the light synopsis. <laughs> we took a break with the trailer. Yeah, we haven't strapped you to a chair. We've and made killed you listen all to this of podcast. the main characters, so there's really only one person the killer could be if it's not Laura Mars. We have not mentioned who died in the elevator. We have not mentioned some of the other people who died. But Everyone okay, sure, dies. if we're everybody dies, <laughs> except the killer who turns out to be Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I was still surprised. I wasn't who done it in the whole movie. You I was were just trying watching that. Yeah, it. Yeah, okay. That's that's a smart move. I was trying not to like write the movie myself because sure. once once I had seen like the I can see in the eyes of the killer, I was like, shut off your writer brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's pretty funny to me because I also wasn't trying to deduce the killer throughout the movie. Here's here's the deal though. I did not ever assume Raul Julia. The shitty no, ex-husband to be the murderer. And we also didn't see him enough. And he seemed, I think that's why, though. It's just also, like, oh, he's not around. Maybe he's killing. Yeah, but we we saw him be too easily swayed by, like, a hundred bucks that you're just like, oh, he's <laughs> he's just showing up in her life because he's at, like, his lowest. You know yeah, what I mean? he like, just needs some cash mm-hmm. and a place to stay. That's that's all. He's a bottom feeder. A hundred percent. A barnacle. <laughs> <laughs> he's a barnacle. Yeah. When the visions are affecting Laura Mars for the first time while she's at work... Because I, I get the impression that previously these were nightmares, and she was 
photographing her nightmares. Is that what you were trying to say to me earlier in the episode? Sure. That these visions weren't always uh, they were blinding her. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were just maybe sparks of mm-hmm. uh, of inspiration. But I think that's to show that she's always kind of had this sort of psychic link with death. And that's kind of her why she's got her photographic obsession. Because mm-hmm. she goes on this weird monologue about how she's seen a lot of death and stuff. And you're like, bitch, when? where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How? You in Vietnam? What? <laughs> yeah. And then she later in the film reveals that she gets these flashes of these like murder scenes. And for her, she sees them as these, you know, like moments of inspiration. Like, oh, I have to create this. I have to make this thing because it yeah. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Whereas we find out they were actually real life murder scenes that she was tapping into. Mm-hmm. So you think that... She's photographing murders either after they have happened or at the same time. Like it's it's this like simultaneous thing. Okay, so for me, I just I always assumed that the killer Tommy Lee Jones was creating murders inspired by her art. No, and see, that at some point the two sort of crossed over. But at the end, his motivation seems to be very self righteous in that. He's got a big crusader monologue well, yeah, <laughs> about how like, he's, he's going, he's that trying her to clean is, up the world. Is too gratuitous and it's, and it's like making a mockery of human life and the fragility and like, like you know what I mean? And yeah. laughing in the face of like, you know, unsolved crime and la la la. And so it just becomes this holier, holier than thou kind of murder scene. Like, oh, I'll just stop you yeah. by killing everyone you love. Because <laughs> otherwise the, the, the deaths of her friends would have been staged. Like, they would have been like, oh, you know, the model girls should have been modeled after in one of the photos where they're, like, playing dead or something. You know what I mean? Like, their death scene should have looked like that. Oh, good point. Mm -hmm. Real good point. Yeah. Okay. So he's a serial killer before any of this, right? Like he? No, I don't think so. You don't. I, you don't think he was responsible for any of those murders? No. Hmm. Okay. No, no, no. I think he thought she was making a mockery of maybe cases he was involved in that were unsolved. Okay. And then he became obsessed with Laura, and maybe he got a little bit of a crush on her. And, you know, some internalized rage processed it as like, I hate everything you do and why do I like you? And just started, you know, trying to stop her. Okay. Okay. So when he, there's a scene in the movie where he is showing her crime scene photos that look remarkably similar to photographs that she has staged for art. Mm-hmm. And I just assumed that to be like a moment where. It's a good plot. I, I'm also sh- a good movie you're talking about. That is also a good movie. Basically two people showing each other their own portfolios. Here's my work. Here's your work. Oh, I love Why that. are you plagiarizing my work? Oh, <laughs> see, I fucking love that. But so I don't think it's that. That sucks because that's how I watched it. I was like, oh. Oh, this is crazy. But even by that time, I was like, Tommy Lee Jones is the killer. So then what were you thinking about his monologue where he was just like, your art sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. So I think that's him. But trying I do to, actually love you. That's that's him trying to explain away why he's killing people because he's on a moral crusade. He's killing people that are immoral or, you know, maybe they're just, oh, they're just fucking flaunting their graphic nudity. Like he's he's cleaning up the streets more or less. Uh, he's very old fashioned, you know, he doesn't want people that are, uh, like he's essentially a Puritan, you know, is is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's on a witch hunt, taking out anybody who's just having casual sex or enjoying themselves too much, you know? Um, I just, I think it's specifically like an internalized rage at Laura Mars. And I think that's why the title is Eyes of Laura Mars, because he's trying to punish her eyes. 
Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll say I'll say this though. The the scene where I was like, "Oh, Tommy Lee Jones is the killer" is that first scene where uh, the visions are taking over while she's literally got like a street corner blocked off to to take this f- apocalyptic sort of fashion. It was cool. Shoot. It was like a bunch oh, of junky so cars on fire and yeah. like girls in fur coats just fighting. <laughs> yeah, loved it, loved it. But you're like, ah. <laughs> at that moment, she sees a murder happening. It gets happening around the corner. I'm I'm watching the killer stalk a friend of mine, the art gallery owner from mm-hmm. the night before, uh, and she's being murdered. Every other person in the movie who is maybe a suspect in these murders was there with her at the photo shoot. Mm. Brad Dorif is there. Her manager slash lawyer is there. Uh, obviously, she's there. The only person that wasn't there, I guess, is Raul Julia. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones. So it's just like Tommy Lee Jones is very clearly the murderer. Yeah, I started suspecting Tommy Lee Jones when everybody she knows is getting murdered. They are definitely getting closer and closer and closer to being, you know, a romantic item. Yeah. And she's got a police detail, but he doesn't stay with her. She's often on her own. And you're like, mm. why is Tommy Lee Jones not spending like every waking minute with her? Why is he not sleeping with her? Why is he not? You know what I mean? Like just hold up in her apartment, even sleeping on her couch, like, yeah. before they finally kiss. And, and it's like, oh, this <laughs> is a, a, a true thriller. We've fallen in love despite all of the things that we should not be falling in love for. Yeah, I've, you're hitting the nail on the head here. Like, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like, the real difference between a thriller and a horror, especially a slasher horror movie, is whether or not you sleep with the killer before the end of the movie. Well, so then by that argument, Scream is a thriller see that's what made scream so interesting is because it played up and you know twisted those tropes that's why it was always so interesting that he was the killer at the end because one she's not a virgin by the end of it and she slept with him but like goddamn and also he's so plain to see as the murderer that by the end when you're surprised you're like but you were so out there that i was like no it's not you right yeah like it was it, it played on all of your expectations of what a horror movie should be because in a horror movie you don't usually have a romantic connection to the killer maybe this is falling apart the more i'm thinking about it, like really the, like, the more i'm thinking about it I'm like oh god damn no this is this is across the board but like thrillers especially you tend to sleep with the enemy yeah, yeah, absolutely. With horror, I think I'm making we're making broad generalizations here. <laughs> With horror, it's more of a spurned thing, like it's a it's a revenge thing, like it's not reciprocated. Whereas in thrillers, it's definitely like you have been seduced, and then you find out who they really are. Yes, okay, maybe you're 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 clarifying this bullshit theory of mine. A no, little, I love a your bullshit better. theory. I really appreciate it. It's almost as good as your little bell bottom internal <laughs> internal struggle. <laughs> I just I can't find a belt that wide anymore that isn't made of genuine leather it's a big like this is the real problem it's like one super hard in general doubly hard if you're trying not to buy actual leather oh don't get me started on going shoe shopping with him it's the worst (laughs) we haven't really talked about laura's photography i don't think her art is that gratuitous but well for nowadays right yeah the thing yeah I think 1978. I love it, though. The one that they, um, they're they doing in her studio where they have all these, like, Grecian columns set up and a bunch of sexy girls are around a man that they've just murdered who's in, like, a full tuxedo. Yes. And they put blood on his chest. I love that. Well, there's a great moment there, too, because the props guy hands her a gun to give to the model, uh, but she doesn't take it. 
Like she doesn't want to touch the gun and she just has the props person hand the gun over to the model who, and then they start placing blood. She's very particular about how much blood is, is on, is on the, the model posing the, the male model posing dead and the whole scene freaks her out and she doesn't like it and she doesn't take the photograph. And that's because by the end of the movie, we realize what she's seeing here, what she's trying to create is the scene where she kills Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Yeah. I, she I, now finally has the gun in her hand and she's realizing that he's, he's posed in the exact same position. Yeah. And it's, it's great. It's wonderful. As much as I don't like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is weird. I'm the murderer because you are gross story. There are some really great moments in that finale, like the posed death. I don't know why he's like, you have to kill me, Laura. But either way. That, nope, yeah, don't, uh, maybe. Uh. But all of, the, all of the mirror work in her apartment bedroom, like yeah. the whole bedroom is, you know, that gaudy carpet everywhere. And then all of the walls are mirrors and they do some really skillful shots in there. Yes. The one I'm talking about in the finale is when Tommy Lee Jones, you know, like stabs at his own eyes. And then one of his eyes is obstructed by broken glass. And it's it's just a lovely thing to look at. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all some elevated visual stuff it is great works totally in context with the movie but yeah the, the ending of the movie is a little over the top <laughs> it's just a little over the top about like why she has to kill him and how it's faded and this and that and i guess it works i mean i think the the most interesting thing in the finale for me is that he actually does love her he actually does fall in love with her Ooh. which is an, an interesting thing and she even says that on the 911 call is like he actually loved me which is it's interesting because he's also trying to punish her, which is like, oh, this is a bad relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should also be worth noting that I don't know how much of this is in John Carpenter's original treatment. I don't know how much it was changed because after Barbara Streisand passed on it and they kind of like worked it through to getting Faye Dunaway on board, mm -hmm. the studio, of course, requested a rewrite. So there are two screenwriting credits on the film. You know, John Carpenter, he's so candid. I love him. Mm -hmm. He's got to like, I, I'm fucking old now and I don't care what you, <laughs> he's like, he's just like, whatever. And there's a quote of him being like, yeah, they fucked around with it basically. <laughs> like, so I don't know how much of the, they retained of his original story, but they definitely, you know, they're definitely another hand on top of his work. Yeah. I, who knows how much was changed. Still got that cash, though. That's what old man Carpenter cares about. <laughs> so right? he plays video games. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great little movie and uh, and a cool American giallo. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we finally fucking crossed it off the list. Because the other thing, too, is that we have been wanting, you especially, have been wanting to watch it for a long time. And... This happens so often where we're just like, it felt like a movie that we should cover on the podcast. So for two and a half, three years, we've been putting it off because it didn't have a movie to pair it with or it just didn't feel right or just like, well, fuck, if we're going to talk about it, we might as well talk about it on the podcast and we don't own a copy of it. So we'll just fucking wait, you know, but um, I've been wanting to watch this movie for a long time glad we finally got to do it yeah it's not normally something that i would have put on but it's definitely something that has been on my watch list forever yeah so how do you uh how are you gonna rate eyes of laura mars oh it's fucks, hard. fucks me up that there's no the i know there. this is a hard one because it suffers from the like i've seen all of these movies before seeing this one you know what i mean oh yeah you gotta try and push that aside i'm i'm trying um because it's also not new. If it was a 2022 movie, sure, go ahead and add that into your rating, right? Because you're just like, yo, you've also seen all the movies I've seen. Mm -hmm. But it has all of those like haunting and foreboding vibes that say like, you know, Don't Look Now has, where you're just like, ooh, something is 
is wrong here. And that's all really delicious and fun. Uh, three. Yeah, exactly. That's the appropriate rating for <laughs> Eyes of Laura Mars. Uh, you don't have to fuss over it a whole bunch. It's a three out of four. I know. I just don't want to criticize it for the fact that I'm just not really into like the eyes of a killer thing. Like that is just not an entirely fresh concept. Oh, for yeah. No, that is not. That's not immediately making me watch the movie mm-hmm. yeah i came for faye dunaway and the the writing styles of mr carpenter i came for the whodunit and i found out whodunit <laughs> and i found out whodunit <laughs> this has been a report from kimberly elizabeth on the field <laughs> yeah three out of four from the both of us this is a really good movie you should definitely seek it out there's a of a great restoration right now from Kino Lorber, uh, who, you know, maybe not a name that you're super duper. I mean, if you're a physical media person, you're definitely keeping an eye on Kino Lorber. They're putting out a shit ton of movies constantly. They just put out a fucking 4K Ultra HD restoration of Dress to Kill, which we haven't broken out yet, but I cannot fucking wait. If we had not covered that movie on the podcast already, that is absolutely the movie I would have lobbied to pair with Eyes of Laura Mars. They are both American Giallos, but. Instead, next week, we will be coming back with another deep cut from a horror name that you are familiar with. But until then, let us know what you thought of Eyes of Laura Mars over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast uh, or in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com slash discord. If you are a fan of Nightmare on Film Street, consider leaving us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps the show. Uh, And if you want even more Nightmare on Film Street, head to our Patreon Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club to get some cool rewards and stuff and support the show. Yeah, it's where all the bonus episodes are. I'm not 100% sure when this episode's coming out. We're recording it a little bit in advance, but uh, definitely sometime in January. And if you want to hear our thoughts on Megan, that's where you can find our drive home from the drive-in review episode on that movie but until next time i'm kim i'm john stay Stay creepy. creepy it appears you made it out alive but we'll get you next time help us to grow the horde leave a five star review on apple podcasts or wherever you subscribe More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.